Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from legal innovators. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Practice Boomers, Practice Viewer, and Practice Pipeline, the leading business development pipeline management tool for law firms. Hello, and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today I'm here with my friend Tim Corcoran. Tim is a former CEO turned management consultant who specializes in helping law firms make smarter business decisions. Tim, great to have you with us today. Happy to be here with you, David. So, Tim, you've done a lot of work in a lot of arenas. You work with uh, law firms on their partner retreats. You work with them on optimizing their comp, on project management. And lately, I know you've been having a lot of conversations with law firms about making data-driven decisions. Tell us a little bit about what that work has been sounding like. Sure. Uh, thanks for asking. So it's it's interesting. My work has moved around in a couple different areas, but for a business manager in a typical corporation, the scope of what I do would seem fairly routine. It's just talking about adding rigor to the discipline of running a business. So while I do talk about compensation, I do talk about project management, process improvement, pricing, and so on, it really is just how do we teach general managers of a business how to make better business decisions? And a lot of that falls down to having right information at your disposal so you can assess your options and go with the course that gives you the greatest probability of success. So a lot of the work I've been doing lately, whether it's in those specific categories of compensation or process improvement, is really about how do we get the right information to the right people and then teach them how to make better decisions using the data? Because we've moved away from a world in which law firms could just continue to do random acts of lunch and at the end of the year, they'd make enough money to spread it around and everything would be happy and we'd move on to the next year. Well, now the market's different. And so if we're not more precise with how we allocate our resources, we could be in a world of hurt. And it's such a missed opportunity because this market today is giving us an opportunity to thrive, not not to suffer, not to, not to languish. And so business owners in law firms who aren't uh, making better decisions, it's really on them to say, how do I access information to learn how to be a better business owner? That makes sense to me. So give us an example of how a firm might make a data-driven decision, especially as it ties into their sales pipeline. So, you know, that's a an area that we put a lot of emphasis in here at Ackert, and we've got our practice pipeline product. And of course, we're always encouraging firms to be smarter about how they inform a pipeline and the analytics that they look at through our tool. But you've got an even broader, I would say, perspective on this and the kinds of data points that ultimately should inform a pipeline strategy. Talk to us a little bit about that. I think the default understanding of a pipeline, a sales pipeline, an opportunity pipeline, a business development pipeline in a law firm is those people who are engaged in rainmaking activities. And of those, those that have a certain volume that we need to track. And of those, those that are willing and able to interact with their marketing colleagues and track that activity, well, now we have the need for a pipeline. And yet all of the tools that exist in our marketplace, to some extent, have a pipeline capability. All of the software packages that offer this capability. So why is this a capability offered by almost every CRM package in the legal vertical or outside? And yet so few lawyers are actually availing themselves of it. And I think the answer is we don't know how to use it right. We're we're using it poorly. So I take a very macro view. I start with saying business owners in a law firm, do you understand what financial outcomes you want to achieve in the next fiscal year? 
And are you using that information to drive your behavior within the practices or industries or offices, whatever your particular governance structure? And then in turn, those groups are taking those financial outcomes and translating it back to say, what sales activities, what business development activities should we be pursuing that will help give us those outcomes? And take it even further back and say, which activities in marketing should we be pursuing to help create opportunities for our lawyers to close business? And in turn, will that close business generate the financial outcomes we want? So we start with the financial outcomes we either want or that we need to be successful in the coming year. And then we work all the way backwards to the tactics we should be pursuing. And I believe that is in many cases, 180 degrees opposite of how most law firms operate. For the practice group meetings that I've been asked to facilitate or participate in, we start with listing all of the tactics we want to pursue or what clients we want to go after or which big companies in town that we haven't yet done business with should we be targeting. And and that's great, but it's just random acts of lunch. It's random acts of marketing that we hope in aggregate will generate the outcomes we want. Well, I'd rather start at the top. I'd rather start with the financial outcomes that the business needs and work backwards. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. So walk me through it. How do they match that revenue number with the kinds of business development activities that are going to be, say, more valuable than random acts of lunch? I mean, how do they sort of weigh certain activities such that they can ultimately say, aha, among those things we could be doing, we should be doing X. So the first thing we say is, all right, well, if you want to grow your business next year, let's start with understanding what are your costs to do your business. And then let's understand what profit margin you need to make to to match what you had, had last year and a little bit more. And maybe that's at least a starting point. But let's also throw in the other vector of of your practice groups or even of your matter types. What is the potential? What is the trajectory? What could we grow next year based on evidence that's not just our opinions? It's based on analyst reports or it's based on industry trends or it's based on our knowledge of of what's happening in the marketplace or regulatory reform or or new legislation that's going to smooth the way or create obstacles for our clients to do business. And that combined effort of saying what let's do a a sort of a bottoms up internally of what we need to make and then an external sort of top down what what could the market give us if if we proceed apace that will help us triangulate into a an understanding of what growth potential we should have and maybe it's 20 percent, but it's more likely you know 13 percent or 26.5 percent or you know eight percent and then the next thing is to understand that it'd be even more unlikely that each of our practice areas or offices or industries, whatever our our organization style is, would have the equal opportunity. So let's say that 20% is a reasoned number. It's unlikely that each of our practices can have a 20% growth potential. So we must furthermore break down our our growth potential by which practice areas can generate 30% because some can only generate 10%. And some might be, you know, having a killer year by generating 2.5% more than last year. And in fact, maybe we have some very profitable practices where revenue goes down by 5%, but profit goes up by 15% because we've embraced a different way to, to do the business and generate greater profits, but we've acknowledged the price is coming down. So that's, that's the first observation is that when we start with broad numbers, we probably haven't uh, dug too deep. So I'll pause there for a second, but you know, I want to make sure I punctuate that point that, that we start with the revenue target, um, but we have to understand that that revenue target has to be informed by an understanding of our practices, offices, or industries in a very different way than we have in the past. 
So when you're standing in front of a group of partners and trying to help them understand that ultimately, okay, let's see, the firm wants to grow by 10%. Well, that means that we're going to have to take an approach that involves everyone at the appropriate level based on their past productivity, based on their market position, based on how they're aligned to emerging trends, et cetera. And if we all work together, then we can get the firm to 20%. Now, that can be a challenge in an environment where really, regardless of rhetoric, you've got a group of people who are looking out for themselves. You've got lone wolves who are saying, yeah, yeah, that's all well and good. But if the firm growing by 20% means I've got to step aside a little bit and make some room for another practice area or another industry group to really lean in this year, then that's going to cost me potentially my bonus because what if they fail? So I'm not playing ball. How do you navigate an environment like that, that we're all familiar can be very common at a law firm? That's, I think, a, a great point. So part of this is not just mechanics and, and numbers and, and analysis. It's also leadership. And I put the bullseye squarely on law firm leaders. If we acknowledge that different practice groups, even practice group leaders or even individual lawyers will make decisions that are not in the best interest of the firm because they're trying to generate income for themselves, I almost hold the partners harmless because they are pursuing that which is in their best interest, given the constraints and given the opportunities the firm has provided. If the mm-hmm. firm leaders want a different outcome, they need to present that as a strategy and they need to reward it. So without getting too deep into a compensation discussion, when we have a partner who chooses to act in their best interest and not in the firm's interest, that's the firm's management's challenge to say, how do I align what's in the partner's interest with what's in the firm's interest? So they actually should be pursuing what's their greatest economic potential And by doing so, it furthers the firm's strategy. It's when there's a a disconnect there that I I put the the, the burden on the law firm leaders to, to fix that. So let's assume they have fixed it. They have aligned incentives. They've said, here's our strategy. You're all on board. Um, If you pursue this plan, um, you will generate income for yourself, but it also lead to the firm strategy. Um, There's a really simple three-step process to to break it down and then to create an awareness of what tactics we should be pursuing. Now, don't get me wrong. uh, You know, the point of your question is these people are going to want the resources all to themselves and, and do what's in their best interest. Well, we may create a bit of a competitive environment, but it's going to be a competitive environment based on data. And uh, if we do it that way, rather than just based on the org chart or who's been there the longest or whose name is on the door, it's hard for even the lawyers to say, I want all of my partners to make a conscious choice to make less money simply because I don't want to go along with the plan and I want to do this. It's more likely that they will say, oh, I see there's a framework upon which we're making our decisions. And it turns out this decision to allocate resources elsewhere is better for the firm but I have an opportunity to improve my business case for why we should invest in my area and allocate resources over here. And we're going to teach them how to do that. So it's really a bit of a a shark tank, a bit of a competition internally for resources. But once we do that, um, we teach everyone how to get better at it. And it creates creates hopefully a better outcome. So the three-step process is simple. We start with understanding the building blocks of an individual practice. So if if the firm leadership has said, we want 20% growth, well, that needs to be translated into a growth percentage for each of the practices. So I'm going to assume that it's unlikely that all practices have a 20% growth rate. So maybe the one we're looking at, the instant issue here is, is we need a 12.5% growth out of practice group A. The first thing we need to understand is what drives our revenue today. Of the 12.5% growth, what 
revenue should we expect from what's already in the pipeline? If we look at our work in, in progress, what revenue will flow through in from billable hours or AFAs this year to generate revenue? What is in the pipeline for us in business development? You know, if we generally win five of these matters a month or 10 of those matters a month, well, you know, what, what's already in the pipeline that we should expect to win? If we add up all of those items, we're still going to have a gap, right? But that's okay. That's okay. If, you know, if, if we don't have a gap, that means, you know, we're not stretching our goal long enough. You know, saying that 12.5% is our goal and we're, we're already at that at the beginning of the year means, you know, we're not being uh, aggressive enough. So we should look at what is the trajectory of our current revenue streams by matter type within the practice area and then add that up. We should look at what's in the pipeline. And then we should say, all right, now here's what we need to get. If we have all of the revenue for this year uh, from the matters that we already started, and if we close what's expected and it's already in the pipeline, maybe we'll get to 9% growth. That means we've got 3.5% growth to find elsewhere. Well, that takes us now to our choices we can make. Do we raise our price? Maybe we don't have to sell a single other matter, but by raising our price for the matters we have, we think we're going to generate the the top line revenue we want. Now, in years past, that was a slam dunk. Raise your rates, generate the revenue. In today's market, in a price sensitive market, that's just as likely to turn out very, very poorly. The clients will say, hmm, your price is now higher than everyone else for this service, so I think I'll go elsewhere. So not only does that not generate the incremental revenue you need, it actually declines the revenue potential you had already in the bank. So um, it can be a poor decision, but you have to know that. Some matter types have price potential upward. Some matter types have price potential downward. Whether we vote on it or not, the clients are going to pay less this year. So we need to factor that in. But if I know I need three and a half percent in top line revenue and I know that means, oh, let's make up a number, a million and a half dollars. Well, mm-hmm. let's take a look. How do we make a million and a half dollars? Maybe a little bit's price increase and now we need a million four. Well, a million four. Let's take a look at all of the matters we worked on this past year. How many did we have? Okay, if we know that number, how many did we have as opportunities that we won? Maybe it turns out we had a 50% win rate in our proposals. So to generate 1.4 million for the matter types we already have, perhaps we just need to have a higher win rate. We could also have more opportunities in the pipeline so we could win more of those without improving our win rate. So we look at all of the opportunities that we started with and we ended up with these matters that generated this revenue. So if we need 1.4 million and that means we need 70 more of those opportunities and we're at 50 percent win rate, that means we need 140 new opportunities that we didn't have last year to win 70 or let's win more than 50% of the opportunities we have. So that's where we use our pipeline tools like diagnostic and we work backwards and we say, okay, well, our win rate's 50%. Why is our win rate 50%? Is it price? Is it that our proposals are really terrible because they're 98 pages about us and one page about the client? Maybe it's our proposal methodology. Maybe it's our ability to ask the right questions so that we're not coming back with boilerplate language. We're actually doing a little bit of discovery about the client's matter. Maybe it's having the right partners in the room to generate more opportunities at the targeted audiences we're we're talking to. Maybe it's actually better tactics. So if we use a sales pipeline properly, we know what we need to come out at the end. So we look at all of the steps along the way and say, what can we do to tweak along the way? So any good sales pipeline has five to seven different stages, and uh, it's easy to say, hey, let's just increase our win rate. But maybe our win rate is improved by something we did four or five stages back. We asked the right questions. We pre-qualified the client better. We didn't just say, hi, nice to meet you. Here's a proposal. We hope you hire us. 
maybe we have a better understanding of their needs. We have the right decision maker. We check the budget. We have a project plan and we have a, you know, the right kind of people in the audience with the client to win the work and so on. So we use the, the pipeline tool as a diagnostic to say, do we have the right people and the right information at the right stage to advance this opportunity and improve our odds of winning? But at the very left side of the pipeline, if we're looking at it, you know, sort of as a funnel that goes left to right, we're saying, how many opportunities do we have coming into this pipeline? And that's the transition point from marketing to business development. Business development is taking opportunities that exist and turning them into paid revenue, paid business, right? Engagements. Marketing is about creating awareness and visibility so that we're in the consideration set. In other words, a client who has a need knows that we're one of the firms they should be talking to. Maybe they don't automatically make the buying decision, but they know they should talk to us and maybe five, six other firms because we're the experts, right? That's the job of marketing, creating that awareness, getting us in the consideration set. It's a job of the lawyers and the business development opportunities to, to move those along the, the pipeline and, and become paid engagement. So that's where we say, ah, now which of the marketing tactics we pursued last year or in years past generated the kind of opportunities we need? Is it the breakfast briefing with uh, 25 different marketing managers or was it that one webinar where we had six VPs of HR and they were the ones who were in a decision making position and they hired us? Is it launching a new blog? Is it is it doing better content marketing? Is it you know running an event at an industry conference? Whatever we do in the past, we should make sure we have some understanding of the impact of those tactics. And those are the tactics we should pursue. So rather than do a random act of lunch, say, hey, let's go talk to this guy down the street because they're a big Fortune 500 company we've never done business with. Why not say, hey, it's, as it turns out, we know that someone who is subscribed to our practice area newsletter, who's attended one of our events, who has um, you know, maybe hired us sometime in the last five years for some matter, is 90% more likely to hire us if we get them to attend a webinar or one more event. Well, that's where we should focus our attention, right? So marketing creates those opportunities. The lawyers then pursue those opportunities through the pipeline um, and make sure that they follow the stages, get that opportunity to the end, and we increase our win rate. So, which is a long way of saying, if we start with an understanding of what economic outcome we want, then we can be more precise about which matter types we should be pursuing to generate that outcome. And then of those matter types, how do we work them through the pipeline and what marketing tactics do we pursue to create those opportunities in the pipeline in the first place? So it's a complete 180 from what many law firms do. And that is, let's identify some tactics that we think will generate some noise in the marketplace and hope those leads turn into things for us. I want to start with the exact opposite, because if we do all of that analysis and at the end we say we're still not going to make our 1.4 million, then we've got to go back to the drawing board. Maybe we need to add a new matter type. Maybe we need to increase our price. Maybe we need to add a rainmaker. But it's a real important diagnostic tool to say, where should we put our time and energy and resources? So all of that done by each practice area means at the end of the day, we have a report saying, here's what we need to invest in. Here's the marketing tactics. Here's the kind of uh, you know information that we need at our disposal for the lawyers to make sure their, their opportunities advance to the end. And you know what? We may have a little competition. It may say, oh, goodness, we need 10 more marketers or we need 60 more events. Well, you know what? Which of those marketing resources that we have are going to be allocated? Well, it's 
going to be based on the, the probability of a win. So we don't have 60 more marketers. We're not going to invest in them that many more people, but rather than um, hope and aspiration that some of these plans will result in the outcome we want, we're actually going to invest in those areas which have the greatest uh, opportunity for success. So it allows law firm leaders and the practice group leaders to start to, to triage where they're spending their time and energy and resources and uh, put it where it's going to give not only the greatest bang for the buck, but relative to each other, right? Not just put a dollar in, get a dollar out. But if I put a dollar in and get $6 out, that's good. But putting a dollar in and getting $19 out somewhere else, well, you know what? That opportunity should win the resources. And so that's really the, the crux of what I'm talking about here is trying to, to understand the building blocks of your business and work backwards from the economic outcomes all the way back to the tactics we should pursue. So let's say that I'm a marketer, business developer at a law firm. I'm listening to today's podcast. Tim Corcoran's making a whole lot of sense to me, but you know, preaching to the choir here, what I really need is for you to get in front of my partners who I can't seem to get away from the random acts of lunch behavior. How would they uh, have you sort of walk the partners through this process? Is it in a partner retreat where you kind of share these concepts? Do you tend to bring data or finances from the firm itself and show it to them and, and give them kind of an A-B comparison? How do you tend to approach these things? Part of what I do in my consulting engagements is to help lawyers make better decisions, particularly the executive committee practice group leaders, help them understand what their job is, what it looks like. It's not just herding cats. It's actually making business decisions and using that data. And if they don't have the data, helping them design the dashboards and so on. But sometimes my role is as simple as saying, your chief marketing officer, your CIO, your business people in marketing and business development and finance already have this information if you would just ask them. Because I can come in and say the tough things that, that sometimes people internally can't say. I can look at the practice group leaders and say, you guys are making terrible decisions. You think you're making good decisions, but they're not. Let's look at this in aggregate. Let's look at this from a from a bigger stage, bigger perspective. Um, executive committee, you think you're... you're um, you know, allowing your practice group leaders to to operate unfettered, but that means you're actually not allocating resources efficiently, right? Not every practice group, not every office, not every industry has the greatest potential, has the same potential. And so we've got to allocate, we've got to make tough calls. And if you don't have a framework to make those decisions, people like me can come by and sort of shake them by the lapels and say, Talk to the people who are already in your firm and have this information at their disposal. And if the marketers and BD folks and finance folks don't have the tools or don't have um, the, the mandate to create these frameworks and decision support tools, well, my job is to sort of shake the, the leaders and say, you need to go invest in this area. It's only helping you. You're putting a couple dollars in in technology and, and process improvement and how we make these decisions, and it's going to generate greater returns because otherwise you're going to have a lot of your partners taking their law school roommates out to lunch again and again and again and again, and we're going to say, look at the high volume of activity, but the reality is you're wasting time and energy. That's right. Well, the needle is certainly moving. We see more and more firms are getting uh, a clearer picture of how to advance in a more strategic, thoughtful way. You and your work has certainly played no small part in all of that, Tim. I know you are talking to firms around the world and helping the leaders at those firms to just take a breath, stop billing for a few hours, and actually look at the business through a more strategic lens. So I really appreciate you sharing some of those thoughts with us today. Once again, we've been hearing from Tim Corcoran. You can learn more about his work at 
bringintim.com. I have to tease you. That's your new website. Bring in Tim. That's like, it's a call to action and a URL all at once. So uh, please go to bring in Tim. Find out more about what Tim Corcoran can do for your firm. I'm David Ackert. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Market Leaders Podcast. For more business development resources, visit ackertinc.com.